Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtler. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Tuesday and Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also pick it up on our YouTube channel as well as our Podomatic um, page. So please uh, subscribe to both of those. It is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which among other things runs a week-long family camp and this year's camp is going to be held at the Lakeside Christian Camp and Retreat Center in Pittsfield, Massachusetts from July 28th to August 3rd. And I'm still uh, get this nagging cough, and hopefully I'll be able to um, get through this little 30-minute segment without too much coughing, and I apologize. That's a little annoying. But anyway, uh, today, or I should say yesterday, was Earth Day. And I do record this show sometimes a day or two in advance, so please forgive me for that. Um, August 20, I'm sorry, April 22nd. And it's really sad to see how so many people put on the radio and they'll say, oh, it's Earth Day, we've got to do something for the planet. And you hear it on radio stations and in the newspaper, like it's some type of legitimate uh, uh, day to, to observe and to celebrate. Now, if they called it Wise Use Day, or good stewardship day, I'll be all for that. In other words, we do have an obligation to uh, preserve uh, nature. Uh, for, uh, that's that's something that makes sense. Wise use, good stewardship. But uh, from coming from a Judeo-Christian concept, that God made the earth and He He told us to have dominion over it, and He also meant that's that we have to take care of that earth. And I don't have a problem with that. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a moral thing. But this Earth Day is not was not set up by people who believed in the free market system, limited government, and good stewardship. They were Marxist, socialist, communist. Uh, it was first celebrated in 1970. And you say, well, gee, why, why did they wait till 1970? Well, that was the 100th anniversary of Vladimir Lenin. Uh, one of the most vilest persons that lived in the 20th century. And, there's a, a short list of people who could be considered the most vilest uh, on the planet that year, that, that century. And Lenin would be definitely the top four or five. Uh, Mao Zedong, Stalin would probably uh, be a little bit ahead of him because uh, Hitler would be there somewhere. Uh, Pol Pot and many others, but uh, definitely one of the most vile human beings uh, that had ever walked the earth. And it's no it's, some people say, oh, it was just a coincidence. But if you looked at the background of the people supporting that day, you'd know, for sure, you'd know exactly what the motivation was. And the uh, late Gary Allen, who wrote uh, some great books, he wrote None Dare Call a Conspiracy, The Rockefeller File, Nixon, The Man Behind the Mask. And by the way, that was the book that kind of got me involved. Uh, it set an interesting course. The Nixon, the man behind the mask, uh, and that book is still available. You can get on Amazon and contact me. I've got about maybe 40 copies of the book. 
Um, <clears throat> but he also wrote for a publication called American Opinion. And he wrote, uh, well, a monthly, it was a monthly publication. And he wrote an excellent article in May of 1970. Well, actually, the, the, what usually... When a magazine has the month of May on it, the magazine would come out sometimes two weeks prior to that. So people were able, were able to see the article uh, prior to Earth Day being actually celebrated. And we have that on our, on our archives, on our, on our, uh, our website. If you go to uh, campconstitution.net, you will see... Uh, you'd see a drop-down called Downloads. And then if you go all the way to the bottom of that, it will say Other Downloads. You click that, it will take you to the Gary Allen Collection, and you'll see Domestic, and you'll see an article called Ecology. And that was a 16-page article uh, full of just great facts. And he had an interesting sense of humor, too. Um, but I really encourage you to do that. What I'm going to do also to make it easier, that if you just go to our camp blog on our website, I'll do the article uh, the next couple today or tomorrow, next few days here, here in April 22nd, 23rd, 24th of 2019, uh, and you'll be able to get the link right there just to save you a little time. I'll also I also put it up on my Facebook page, but I'll put it up on Camp Constitution's Facebook page too because I just it's important to have this information to counter this misinformation we have, and that's one of the reasons why we exist as an organization, is not just to teach, but also to uh, give people the necessary tools they need to be able to uh, <coughs> take it to their, uh, you know, their elected officials, to take it to their various um, circles of influence with the right information. And in many cases, the right information will have a profound impact on the political outcomes of things. Uh, so that's why we uh, we have all this these great resources. Uh, so please visit our website campconstitution.net, and you'll be able to. Then uh, you see the download section. Go all the way down. And by the way, Gary Allen uh, he wrote some great books, but his books weren't nearly as good as his monthly articles. He was really ahead of his time. He wrote about the economy. <laughs> He wrote about morality. He wrote uh, numerous topics, uh, domestic issues. Uh, he even wrote about uh, various candidates uh, on occasions. <coughs> Some background information on these candidates. Um, one of the articles he did, I think it was entitled, I think it was entitled On Morality. And it came out in the early 70s. And in the article, he talked, he mentioned um, that uh, the homosexual, militant homosexuals are promoting men marrying men. He didn't use the term same-sex marriage. Now, that was, no one was talking about that in the early 70s. The most vilest, militant, anti-American homosexual wouldn't, would, would have scoffed if you mentioned that. And by the way, there was a group called the Mattachine Society. That was the first homosexual organization in the United States. It was formed in the late 40s, right after World War II, uh, by the three communists, Harry Hay being one of them. I can't think of the other two. Uh, so they know exactly what they had in mind. And, of course, today there are just hundreds of thousands of homosexual organizations of various types, uh, transgender organizations or what have you. But that was one of the first, if not the first, in the United States. And they were very, very influential. So um, 
and he was saying this in 1970 and 71. Uh, today, when you say that you think it's wrong for men to marry men, you're considered an evil, hateful homophobe. But back then, even the most, uh, you know, the, the most uh, militant of the homosexual groups weren't even talking. They weren't even mentioning it. It wasn't on the agenda, so to speak, at least publicly. Uh, but Gary Allen knew that way back then. So I do encourage you. Uh, his book, Nixon, the Man Behind the Mask, was really something. It's a, my landlord at the time, <clears throat> this was back in 1988, I was always a conservative-minded person. I had um, made a profession of faith as a young man, a little bit of backsliding in my teenage and early 20s, uh, and then I made a recommitment to Christ when I was 28, I think. And uh, my landlord at the time, someone I had a lot of respect for, former boxer, a retired policeman, <clears throat> he... Um, loaned me this book, Nixon, Man, The Man Behind the Mask. And I read the book, and it just made a lot of sense. It kind of explained a lot of things that I had trouble understanding. Uh, and at, at that point, I thought Nixon you know, was a relatively decent, conservative-minded person, and I thought Watergate was, well, he might have done something wrong, but he didn't deserve all the negative stuff he got. He meant well. Because I've learned a whole lot since then. Nixon was one of the top insiders uh, of his time. And uh, he said in the book, it's promoting, it's, there's a little promotional sticker on some of the issues. And it said, more startling than Watergate. <clears throat> and Gary Allen would say that uh, Watergate was chicken stealing compared to the things that Nixon did. <clears throat> and Nixon uh, was a man of the left. Uh, uh, he was a member of the... Um, Ripon or Ripon Society, which was a group of left-wing Republicans. He was a globalist and internationalist, and he basically was a Rockefeller protege, even though he had uh, pretended to be uh, anti-Rockefeller. Uh, after he lost the election in California to the governorship, he went to New York, where he uh, got involved with the Council on Foreign Relations and worked for the Rockefellers. And he gave us the wage and price controls. I, I remember as a, I was a young man at junior high school, and I can remember people uh, saying, well, gee, you know, the wage and price controls might not be the best thing, but at least he's doing something to, to curb inflation and all that. These, these insider types must have been laughing themselves silly when they heard that. Uh, the wage and price controls, first of all, unconstitutional, but it only made matters worse. He also gave us the, um, Nixon gave us the, um, uh, OSHA. He gave us the EPA, Environmental Protection, Environmental Protection Agency. So he was a big supporter of internationalism. He gave us Henry Kissinger, for goodness sakes. That alone should question him. He, he was the one that <laughs> brought him into the cabinet. No, no doubt he was told to bring him into the cabinet. But Nick and uh, it was interesting, too, that he comes out of the Vietnam War looking like uh, Nixon was doing the right thing, you know. What was it? Um, peace with honor. Well, there was no peace and there was no honor. And here, his major negotiator was Henry Kissinger, sealing the fate of the American POW. I mean, there were several hundred, if not you know, hundreds of American POWs that were left behind, knowingly left behind. And that's on the. That's really uh, the guilt is laid at the foot of Nixon and his uh, evil uh, man Henry Kissinger. And by the way, Gary Allen wrote a great book. Uh, it's a little booklet, really, on the size of Nundere Call a Conspiracy on Henry Kissinger. Um, 
and I recommend that too. Now, <clears throat> we don't have that in the PDF format, I don't believe, uh, in our site, but it is definitely a great book to uh, to look to get a better understanding of one of I mentioned. I mentioned Lenin being one of the most vile. I would say that if you had a list of rogues gallery of Americans of last century, the worst, Henry Kissinger would be definitely the top of the last part of the 20th century, one of the most vilest Americans uh, ever to live, and he would be there. And there's a lot of, there's a good caliber. I think um, people like uh, Alger Hiss, who's not as well known, but he was a Soviet spy and traitor to the United States that wrote the UN Charter. Woodrow Wilson would be on that one. This is my personal list. It may not be yours, and you may not agree with me, but it's based on my understanding and my research and reading over the last, um, you know, 45 years. Um, I definitely put, yeah, so I definitely put, I put Franklin Roosevelt on there as well. Um, and uh, almost anybody connected to Franklin Roosevelt uh, through his administration would probably definitely be suspect. Harry Hopkins would be there. Um, so <clears throat> justice uh, and a number of Supreme Court justices. So anyway, I'm, I'm deviating a little bit from the course here. So I do, again, recommend anything written by Gary Allen. Uh, a lot of his stuff is available on Amazon. You can even buy some of his hard copy reprints on Amazon. Some of them are sold by Camp Constitution. Uh, go to our website. And you can get all that stuff, download it all free of charge. And if you want to make a donation, we'd love to get one. But it's for your use to help educate the again, people in your circles, elected officials, people of influence. So um, now I have a, a friend, Diana Ploss, and she's always a guest here once or twice. Uh, she now hosts a radio show in uh, Nashville, New Hampshire, on AM uh, 1590. And I've been a somewhat regular guest, and I really appreciate it. She's buying the time, and she's basically giving it to us at Camp Constitution to, uh, to do the show. And there's also opportunities where I fill in uh, for guest hosting, not just for her show, but there's two other ladies that have shows on the station, and I've been filling in <clears throat> almost twice, two or three times a month. And, of course, then I've got a friend down in Connecticut, um, Lori Hopkins Cavanaugh, who I fill in, whom I fill in for on occasions, and a guest as well. But uh, she, so Diana got a hold of me today, <laughs> and I, I also, in addition to filling in, I also get on get on every second week for a half hour at three thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where you know I'm interviewed for a half hour. She wanted to know what what do we want to talk about, and she asked me if I want to talk about socialism, the difference between socialism and communism. I'd say, it sounds like a great topic. Let's do it. Now, I know if you went to your uh, typical college professor at your typical left-wing state college, he'd give you a long dissertation about international socialism, democratic socialism, this kind of socialism, that kind of socialism, uh, to confuse people and to think that there's really some serious ideological differences between socialists and communists and Marxists and all this uh, but to make it simple, I would refer people to the Communist Manifesto. Uh, that was published in 1848 by Karl Marx, another one of repulsive human beings. Of course, he, uh, he is the guy of the 19th century, but he'd definitely be, if I had a list of the worst people in the 19th century, he'd be on that. He'd be on the top, uh, no doubt, top 10. Karl Marx uh, from uh, Vienna, uh, he was born into a Jewish background, although there is evidence that he converted to Christianity as a young man and then totally rejected Christianity. 
uh, is a book called uh, Marx and Satan, written by Pastor Lubrand, <clears throat> that goes into that. Uh, but if you go to his manifesto uh, and you look at uh, the ten planks, the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto, and he said basically, if you adopt these, <clears throat> you have yourself a communist country. Now Marx is revered by the socialists as well as Marxist and as and communist. In fact, Marx was going to call the Communist Manifesto the Socialist Manifesto, but. He, uh, there were a lot of people running around Europe that were calling themselves socialist, and he was not uh, sympathetic to them. So he didn't want to be confused, so he and Engels decided to call it the Communist Manifesto. Now, before you read the Ten Planks, you, uh, you'll look at it. And it's, uh, the manifesto is only I don't know, 65, 70 pages. It's not a long dissertation. <clears throat> and by the way, another book that Karl Marx wrote was A World Without Jews. That's right. That's right. It's one thing the Marxists want to, uh, they don't like to talk about. And when they, you do mention it, they'll, uh, oh, wow, you know, you just, you misunderstood that. He didn't really mean what he said. Well, I have a copy of the book. I read the book. I know exactly what he said. You know, it's, if somebody, somebody's apologizing for Adolf Hitler and say, well, he didn't really mean it in my camp. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> what, other, what other interpretation can he have? Anyway. So prior to the Ten Planks, he talks about uh, Christianity, and he says that, um, uh, he uses the term eternal truth, and he said that communism abolishes all eternal truths. So any system that would abolish, I mean, you can't abolish an eternal truth. It's impossible. But that's the, the thinking of his, his mind, that you can abolish something like eternal truths. And if something that tries to do that is evil it's intrinsically evil and it's not worthy of support for any decent human being so if you're buying into the socialism it's because you are deceived you're either evil or you are deceived so socialism a simple definition is nothing more than the um, control of the means of uh, the control of the means of production so a socialist country, you may have uh, private companies, you know, businesses, uh, factories, or what have you, but they're highly, highly regulated to the point where the state almost runs them. They tell you how much to hire, uh, how much, uh, who to hire, how much to pay, when to open, when to close, what to make, how much to make. They 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 control the, uh, they may control the means of transportation and the means of production too in some countries most I mean in the socialist country and the rest is up to you and make no mistake about it the Nazis were also socialist national socialism if you read Mein Kampf you will discover that Hitler was a socialist he was a proud socialist he believed in an all-powerful state yes there's some private property and there's some private sector but it's highly controlled Today we are very uh, we are more socialist today than most people would even care to imagine. Here I am. I'm trying to become a daycare assistant from my wife's business. So on rare occasions when she needs a second person because of the number of children that the the state says if you have more than so many you've got to have so many help. Um, I'm trying to get certified and I'm jumping over so many hoops. Uh, I, I, I fill out these forms and they want this and they want the fingerprints and they want this. 
I, I mean, yeah, I can understand the need to uh, make sure for the parents' sake that the people my wife hires or has working for are, are, are qualified. That should be up to her. That should be up to the parents should be the one setting those standards. But, but that's just, and people today just, oh, that's the way it is. You know, you'll try to open a business and you've got federal taxes, state taxes, federal laws, state laws. Uh, every, every week there's another thing they want you to put in the, you know, so the employees can see, even if you don't even have any employees. In fact, I had a, um, I had a, I was involved with an entity where the, uh, and it was a uh, not-for-profit entity and, uh, it was uh, anyway. I was getting these things from the state because they had my address. My I had a, my number in the phone book. I was getting stuff from the Massachusetts workforce and Massachusetts discrimination. Uh, all these all these government bureaucracies. I had to post this and post that. I, it was amazing. It was kind of funny. I would mail them back and say, "Hey, I'm just one person here, so I, I, I don't. You don't need to. You can stop sending this stuff." So there's an incredible, incredible amount of state control, local, federal, yeah, local control, whether it be town or city, county, state, federal. And people think, walk around, think we're free people. And we're so free, we have to worry on tax day, we have to worry about our receipts, and we have to worry, we got all our, all our forms from the federal government, we have our forms from the state government, we have our health care forms, uh, forms, we have our receipts for the health care or the gasoline that we bought or how many miles the car drove and this and that. That's not a free people, you know, and, but again, uh, it seems to be that most people just accept it. They don't give it a second thought. Anyway, getting back to the 10 planks, I won't, I won't kind of, I won't, I don't have the copy of the book in front of me, but, um, if you look at that, they, uh, they have, uh, a progressive income tax. I think that's the second plank. And I think the first plank is the uh, abolition of private property. <laughs> then there's a plank that deals with uh, you can't inherit the abolishing the right of inheritance. There's one that calls for the centralization of credit in the hands of the state. That's, I think, plank number five. Uh, free education for all. That's not interesting. Uh, well, wait a minute now. First off, we know there's nothing that's nothing free. Everything comes with a cost. So, in other words, everybody, every child will have a free education, but then someone has to pay for that. And who controls the education? It's controlled by the state or the country. Why does the state have so much invested in education? Or the right term is not indoctrination because they want to control what that child learns. So that child will be an agent of the state, basically. This is what the state believe, teaches, and this is what they promote. And in a free country, of course, parents uh, parents can get together and start their own schools. Churches can start this. Have started their schools. Private, even an atheist. I don't know if there are too many atheist schools that are founded by atheists for the purpose of um, the atheists come into these these various entities and take them over. But I don't know too many schools that are started by atheists. There may be some out there. Um, that definitely, you know, are promoting atheism, and that's their right to do that. As much as I may disagree, so uh, uh, that's really the, the sum of it. A communism is uh, when the when the state controls or owns the means of production. So socialism is basically the when the state controls it. 
communism is when the, when the state owns it. Uh, under communism, you don't have. Uh, there might be some exceptions where the state will say, "Okay, you have a little a little kiosk, a little shop here, sell some of your extra crop." But uh, but that's few and far between. So that's really the difference. I heard uh, my my friend John McManus said that a communist is a socialist in a hurry. So uh, we can get all caught up in the Hegelian dialect and these various socialist philosophers and those that disagree with each other. But the bottom line, it's about power, force, and control. See, every time there's a law that's passed, there has to be some means of upholding that law or enforcing that law. See, the word force is there. You pass an ordinance, and you've got to have a fine. You don't pay the fine, they'll take your property. If you put up a resistance, they'll put you in jail, they'll hurt you, shoot you. Walter Williams, he, the, the great economist, he would always say that. He would talk to him. These liberals would call him up on a show. And, uh, well, he, he was against um, these racial, he was against, um, what was it, uh, racial, the, the, these minority set-asides. So racial, he was a man, he was a black man. And he would be very much against uh, giving special privileges to black people and uh, hiring, hiring blacks in favor of whites, et cetera, minority set, minority set aside programs. And he always said the liberal would call up and uh, the liberal would call up and he would say, uh, well, what if I don't comply? Well, they'll fine you. Well, what if I don't pay the fine? Well, they'll uh, put a lien in your property or put a lien in your bill. Or what, if, what if I resist? And then he, the liberal wouldn't know what to say. And he would, Walter would say, the government would shoot me. The bottom line is everything the government does is always forced behind it. And, of course, you would expect that. I mean, what's the point of having a law? Of course, there should be some laws that are made in pursuance of the Constitution, whether it be the state constitution or the U.S. Constitution. There has to be some, way, some means of enforcing those who will not obey a law. And there are some laws that are just and should be, should be enforced. But compulsory education laws? They were all back in the 1840s when Karl Marx, even before Karl Marx, uh, uh, the ink was dry in his first manifesto. The states were passing these uh, compulsory education laws. Uh, so you pass a law that says, gee, every child between the age of 5 and 16, and of course it, it varies state to state and the number of months and days, it varies here and there. Uh, you'd have to be in school, and if not, the parents were arrested. The parents, so the kids... <laughs> And they, they would take the child away. So that's a very powerful. And today, when you talk about compulsory education laws, people don't even give it a second thought. Wasn't it always that way? Well, no, it wasn't. In fact, we were a highly literate, highly educated society before we had these crazy compulsory education laws. Uh, but every state has adopted them. And in fact, everybody, uh, everybody with children and most businesses and uh, you know, other entities, their whole calendar their schedule revolves around the government schools when the schools are open when they're closed you know when do you take your vacations when the kid when the kids are when the kids are home when they're not home and so forth so uh wouldn't it be something to see compulsory education laws repealed you see uh anyway uh so those that's really the basis socialism is the state control of the means of production and communism is the state ownership of the means of production. And uh, if you want to learn about communism and socialism, get a copy of the Communist Manifesto. Uh, it's available as a free download. In fact, it was my uh, my friend, uh, Dr. Dick Pester, who's been on the show before, 
actually said that the Communist Manifesto is the most read book in colleges today. And they read these not to expose it, but because they support it and they endorse it. And by the way, we do teach over the years. We've taught courses on the manifesto, Communist Manifesto. And we do it because we want to show people, the youngsters and adults, or whoever is in the class, the lies of communism, the lies of socialism, and that needs to be opposed. It was very refreshing to hear Donald Trump say that America will never be a socialist country. Unfortunately, it already is. It's nice to, but a lot of people, and I'm sure Trump is one of them, that doesn't quite understand the whole definition of socialism. Now, he was in the, he's in the building business, you know, building and what have you. Tons of regulations uh, at every level. And uh, again, there are some that are justified. I'm not saying there should be any, but they should be, these regulations <clears throat> should be made in pursuance of the Constitution. And they should always have free market principles involved. You know, regulations, for example, uh, let's say that I live in a residential area and I have a single wall of do in a single family home. Uh, you know, I buy my house and then uh, the house next door, someone decides to sell that, they tear the house down, they want to build a shopping mall. Well, all of a sudden, my value, my price, my home goes down a little bit, or maybe a whole lot of bit. So there's a nuisance issue, harm and nuisance there. So I do, I do, may I may definitely have a legitimate claim here, and maybe the local government should uh, have some kind of, you know, protection protecting my property against someone who's going to turn his property into something that I had not foreseen. Something, uh, same thing if you you buy a, p- a piece of property in a beach and somebody puts up a, a big condo, you know, a 10-story condo, so you've lost some of your, uh, your, your rights. You can't see the ocean anymore. Something like that can be justified, but it should all be done locally. And, of course, then there's also compensation. And, uh, and the Constitution does talk about uh, eminent domain, but it's limited to, uh, you know, to, to improvements or building roads. It's not like in um, New London, Connecticut, where they t- uh, where the city uh, took some property by eminent domain because it was, it was going to be bought by a private drug company, and the drug company was going to employ so many people, therefore uh, raising the tax base and what have you of the city. So the Supreme Court, your Supreme Court justified that, and they end up taking the property. In fact, there's a, there's a documentary about it called Little Pink House, and I actually knew the lady who owned the house and her story and her ordeal. Um, and the drug company didn't even bother, ended up not, not building. So not building, not moving into New London. So all that, all that time, all the, all the homes are largely disrupted. Now you have a big brownfield there. So that's uh, what happens. And by the way, when the state works, when the local government or national government or the state government works with the private sector. When they, when they collaborate, that's really the embodiment of fascism. So uh, corporate, the corporate state, cor- and Hitler was big on that. He had these huge corporations, the gun manufacturing, uh, IG Farben and Krupps and all that. They basically worked together. They were almost one, one and the same. In, um, in Mussolini's fascist Italy, the same thing. So we see some of that too. You can make the case that we even might be more fascist than we are socialist 
Uh, and again, it's, there's a similar philosophy here, state control, but under fascist system, the corp- it's almost like the corporations work very closely with the, um, not in an adversarial relationship. And you see that today, because if you said that, oh, I think we're a fat, they'll think you're a far leftist. But if you took out, if you read the, neo- the Nazi platform, the German Nazi platform, you can get English translations and translations in whatever languages you need. But if you took out the anti-Semitism from the platform, you would see a platform that would be identical to a lot of Democrat Party platforms over the years. You know, you know, this uh, mother and uh, infants, women, women, infants and children. That's something that uh, the communist, uh, uh, the Nazis had. It was called Mutter and Kinta. Well, anyway, I think I'm running out of time. I want to thank you for listening to Camp Constitution Radio, and I'm your host, Hal Sherliff, heard every single Tuesday and Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and to visit our website, campconstitution.net, and until next week, may God bless you. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.